press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, August 5. Big disruptions in store at ports across the country as maritime workers get ready to strike. The country's biggest tug operator, Switzer, is seeking to terminate its enterprise agreement with the unions, and workers at its terminals are getting ready to walk out from 9am. Thousands of doctors' surgeries have begun writing to patients, telling them they'll no longer be bulk-billed. GP clinics are facing a financial tipping point, with many GPs saying they're on the verge of going broke. Doctors say the almost 10-year freeze of the Medicare rebate has finally pushed them to the wall. Some surgeries are even refusing to bulk bill pensioners. A new political moment is dawning as the government's climate change bill passes the lower house and heads to likely success in the Senate, thanks to the Greens' endorsement. The climate change bill has passed the house and it is a small step on the road to tackling the climate emergency, but that work could be undone if Labor's coal and gas projects go ahead. Independent David Pocock will also back the law when it comes before the Senate in September. In just a moment, we find out what's behind the Greens' backflip and what it means for their voters. Plus, later in the episode, a remarkable story about how a member of the Stolen Generations rediscovered his Indigenous heritage through art and design. The government's climate change bill has passed the lower house with support from the Greens, Independents and one coalition MP. It follows a deal struck between Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and the Greens earlier this week. Tomorrow I will be joined by our Greens MPs in the House of Representatives in voting for the climate change bill. And when the bill comes before the Senate, we will vote for it there as well. Greens leader Adam Bant capitulated to the government's proposal following assurances the 43% reduction target was a flaw and not a ceiling. Jeff Chambers is the Australian's chief political correspondent and joins me now. Jeff, what does that mean, a flaw and not a ceiling? It's very much rhetoric, as the entirety of the bill really is, because both Anthony Albanese and Chris Bowen have explicitly said before and after the election that they didn't require legislation to push ahead with their climate change agenda. They've been very clear in their backroom briefings that uh, they really didn't give the Greens much and that they'd played hardball with Adam Bant and the Greens to avoid some of the more extreme measures that the Greens wanted, including a climate trigger to stop all new coal and gas projects in the country and to effectively shut down those industries. What we have is a series of amendments uh, will receive support uh, where they are consistent with the policy that we took to the election. Where they're not consistent, we won't vote for it. Uh, We made our position very clear. There will be some amendments passed in the House of Representatives that are sensible, that are consistent with our position. There are other points that the Greens were pushing as well. So, look, it was more in the language, making it sound a bit tougher than what it was. But when the Greens went to the election with their policy, which was a 75% emissions reduction target by 2030 and a net zero 
emissions target by 2035, it falls well short of what the Greens had pitched to voters at the election. So what's in it for the Greens to agree without any real concessions? Oh, look, I think that, that one of the considerations was they've won four lower house seats and they want to win more at the next election. And off the back of that, they picked up a senator in Queensland and senators in other states as well. So if they want to grow the party, they can't always get their extreme point. This early in the 47th parliament, we're in the second week here in in Canberra. And uh, I think that they just, they didn't want that political brawl early where they could be deemed as being blockers of more ambitious climate change targets. But that's not to say that as we go deeper into this term that they won't be up for a fight. One of the Greens' other signature policies during the campaign was dental care going on to Medicare. That seemed to me like pie in the sky, something unbelievably unaffordable. Now that they've essentially given away some territory on climate, does that mean they're going to fight harder for things like dental? Yeah, so Adam Bands in his press club speech this week spoke about two measures that he believed would alleviate cost of living pressures. One of those is to bring forward Labor's free childcare for almost all of Australians, and the other one is around putting dental into Medicare. So the overall cost of that per year over 10 years is around $18.2 billion, and the Greens want to pay for that by slugging billionaires like Gina Reinhart and Clive Palmer, and also going after the LNG exporters. So I think they've made it pretty clear that when it comes to the October 25 budget, they're going to have a a blue over some of these areas and try and show that they're the true social progressives. Labor's got the numbers in the lower house, but as Labor tries to progress their legislative agenda, they're going to have to talk to the Greens. But Labor are very, very uh, determined to deliver a, a budget that has savings in it, that's efficient, and that doesn't overextend the bottom line. So this pragmatism by the Greens, where does that leave the Teal independents who, similarly to the Greens, are going after inner city seats and also have a mix of climate ambition and social justice policy? I think it's interesting. I think Anthony Albanese and Labor are going to try and elevate the Teals. Now, they've got a majority in, in the House of Representatives, which means that if they want to really get legislation through, they don't need the Teals. But as much as they possibly can, they're going to try and bring the teals with them. And if they give a concession here or there to the teals and it looks like the teals are getting outcomes, that makes it much more difficult for the Libs to to try and reclaim those seats in 2025. This climate bill is now going to be kicked off to a Senate inquiry and that will report back in late August, just before Parliament returns in the first two weeks of September. And the Greens will use the inquiry to keep pushing their case around stopping coal and gas projects, and the coalition will continue their prosecution that targets are all good, but what protections are in there for regional communities in this transition to net zero? Jeff Chambers is The Australian's chief political correspondent. Coming up after the break, a remarkable stolen generation story and a celebration of Indigenous art.
Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthish and Extra Healthish wherever you get your podcasts. The stolen generations of Australia's first people have been in a lot of our minds in the week since Archie Roach passed away. Because you were born of just one song. He was known as the voice of the Stolen Generations, someone who articulated the loss of children from so many Indigenous families and then ultimately their return, sometimes to their families, but often to their culture. Melanda Rout is the deputy editor of the Australian's luxury and lifestyle magazine, Wish, published today. And she's joining us to talk about a really remarkable Stolen Generations story. Melanda, tell us, who is John Moriarty and what happened to him? Well, he was born near the Gulf and Carpentaria in the Northern Territory in 1938. And he talks about how he had a really rich life. He had a rich tribal life, lots of languages and very much ensconced in the Indigenous way of life. And then one day his mum dropped him off at school and he was taken and he never went back home. So he tells this extraordinary story of he was then taken by missionaries into New South Wales, went to school there, went to a couple of towns, and then about 15 was made an apprentice and went back to Alice Springs. And he remembers distinctly standing there one day and a woman came up to him and said, what's your name? And he said, my name's John. And she said, you're my son. And unbeknownst to him, his mother had been moved to live in a a hostel there. So his is an extraordinary story. And then what's even more incredible is what he has since done with his wife. He met his wife, Roz, and they had a couple of children in the 80s. And they talk about how they wanted to make sure that they never lost the connection to their culture. So did meeting his mother again enable him to then reconnect? Was he able to to develop a relationship with her? Not at that particular point. It wasn't till later that they were able to have a proper relationship again. What happened is that they kept doing this incredible art for their children and then realised that that was missing on the Australian scene. Their business now, their design studio called Ballerinji, is now 40 years in business. So it's a very different time when they started it. And they just talk about how that they thought there was a gap. And so they then began offering services with Indigenous art for companies. And they talk about how difficult it was at the start because Australia didn't have that mindset. So Ballerinji Studio has just won the Design Institute of Australia's President's Award. What does it mean? Well, the Design Institute of Australia have awards each year which recognises designers, the projects they do, but also the people behind them. And so this one is basically a recognition of all the work that they put in and the contribution that they've made to the design industry because they also hire Indigenous designers as well. So not only do they use Indigenous work, they make sure that they hire them and they involve them all around the country and all the different projects that they do. And they also talk about some of the key clients that really changed the game for them. And one of them was 
they were responsible for painting the Qantas planes, which was done in the 90s. And Yeah, yeah I remember these remarkable yeah. images of Qantas. There was a red one that yeah. was covered. It was really wrapped in Indigenous art, an amazing statement and really a very early statement of pride in yes. Aboriginal art, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And the, the key thing with that is it was not only visible to everyone in Australia, who caught a flight. They were international. So that was one of the first times on the international scene. So they said that that was such a key turning point. So it's the taking of Indigenous art and design, isn't it, really, from something that was associated with maybe being touristy yes, and being uh, something that Australians wouldn't necessarily buy or be interested in, really making it high art, celebrating that as the epitome of Australian culture. Yes, absolutely. And just make it part of who we are and making that culture something to be proud of. And their work since then has been, you know, Paralympic uniforms. They do a lot of work with the government with train stations. So I think most people would have walked past something that they had been involved in. You just don't know it, which is what's so extraordinary about this as well. One of their most challenging projects lately was to redesign the Made in Australia logo yes. because it has spectacularly been redesigned just at the start of COVID yes. to look like... Wattle, <laughs> but ended up looking like COVID. <laughs> so they won the bid to redesign it and now it's a kangaroo, which is based on actually some Dreamtime stories from his hometown. Again, going back to the Dreamtime stories and his culture and history and the Indigenous culture to inspire and these creations. Melanda, there are so many challenges in closing the gap between Indigenous and other Australians. I think sometimes we can think of art and culture as a distraction or something separate. The Moriarty's really think of it as central to reconciliation and to closing the gap. Yeah, they just consider it being important because it's part of the Australian identity and the more we think about it and the more that the whole country is proud of it, then that you know, plays a role as well. So Roz is just an extraordinary woman as well. And she talks about how that over the last 40 years running the studio with him, they've really seen quite the generational change and how important culture is and how it's really important to celebrate this idea of this different idea of being Australian and being Indigenous and how it's all who we are and we should be proud of it as a country. We have actually moved as an Australian society to embrace that identity and to share that identity in a very respectful, generous way that I suppose gives us, you know, as a society, it moves us forward from the, you know, all all the, I guess, some of the the negativity of colonisation and, you know, what that means for many in the Aboriginal community. Melanda Rout is Deputy Editor of WISH. The Front is edited by Tiffany Dimack and Josh Burton and produced by Kristen Amiot and Harim Khan. Our music is by Jasper Leake and our multimedia editor is Leah Tamaglu. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, 
a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.